Chapter 13, having a series of personal second comforter experiences while yet in the flesh. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins, and cometh unto me, and calleth on my name, and obeyeth my voice, and seeketh my commandments, shall see my face, and know that I am. Doctrine and Covenants 93, verse 1. Strikingly enough, the very purpose and function of the church, any Christian church, is to bring individual souls unto Christ, period. It is the very essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to develop a personal relationship with him, and he tells us it is. How do we go about accomplishing this? We do it by having a series of personal experiences with the Lord himself, and we do it here, now, while we are yet in the flesh, not waiting until the next life. By its very definition, a second comforter experience is one in which we enjoy some kind of personal interaction with the Messiah. There are many, many ways to have a personal interaction with Christ, and sometimes the initial event is simply looking into his eyes and having him look into our souls through our eyes. Having a second comforter experience can be very different for everybody. There is no such thing as a cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all second comforter experience. Moreover, the interaction with the Lord is not the end of the road, but it is the beginning of a sacred journey, the journey of having a series of second comforter experiences while yet in the flesh. How can we develop a lasting and meaningful relationship with our personal Redeemer without connecting with him personally at deeper and deeper levels over a period of time while we are yet alive? We can't, and it is that simple. Once the Holy Ghost confirms to our hearts and minds that this is a true principle, the next step is to understand the why and how of having a series of comforter experiences. In Doctrine and Covenants 82, verse 10, the Lord promises us, I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not what I say, you have no promise. In other words, he has to keep his promise. Therefore, it, if you meet his requirements to see his face, you, he will show himself to you. Probably the biggest hurdle is to accept the fact that it is possible to see the Lord in this life. It has not so much to do with worthiness, but since none of us are <clears throat> ever worthy of his presence in this life, it is through the Savior's saving atonement and the grace he extends to to us that we are allowed to enter his presence as a mortal. The next hurdle is to understand that the importance of having a personal relationship with the Lord that can lead to a second comforter experience. Ask yourself, do I believe the Lord when he says we can see his face? Only you can answer that question. Before we examine each of the requirements listed in the scriptures under the title of the chapter, you may be wondering why it would be important to have the second comforter experience in this life, and you may be wondering if it is possible for the average member of the church. Answering the second question, Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, After the true saints receive and enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost, after they know how to attune themselves to the voice of the Spirit, after they mature spiritually so that they see visions, work miracles, and entertain angels, after they make their calling and election sure and prove themselves worthy of every trust, after all this and more, it becomes their right and privilege to see the Lord and commune with him face to face. Revelations, visions, angelic visitations, the rendering of the heavens, and appearances among men of the Lord himself are all things... No, all these things are for all of the faithful. They are not reserved for apostles and prophets only. The footnote on that is Promised Messiah by Bruce R. McConkie, page 575. Elder McConkie also said, There is a true doctrine on these points, a doctrine unknown to many and unbelieved by more, a doctrine that is spelled out as specifically and extensively in the revealed word as are many, any of the other great revealed truths 
There is no need for uncertainty or misunderstanding, and surely, if the Lord reveals a doctrine, we should seek to learn its principles and strive to apply them in our lives. This doctrine is that mortal man, while in the flesh, has it in his power to see the Lord, to stand in his presence, to feel the nail marks in his hands and feet, and to receive from him such blessings as are reserved for those only who keep all his commandments and who are qualified for that eternal life which includes being in his presence forever. Let us at last least sample the holy word and see what the Lord has promised us as seeing his face and being in his presence while we are yet pilgrims far removed from our heavenly home. That is in Bruce R. McConkie's book, A New Witness for the Articles of Faith, page 492. Elder McConkie clearly says that all of these blessings, including seeing the Savior, are for all of the faithful and can be achieved in this mortal life. If you are still in doubt, read Ether 12:19. And there are many whose faith was so exceedingly strong, even before Christ came, who could not be kept from within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with an eye of faith, and they were glad. As to why we should be seeking the blessing, the first reason I can think of is because the Savior himself has invited us to seek his face. His love for us is unconditional and unending. He will be as close to us as we allow. I would also like you to think about the times in which we live. Prophets and apostles affirm that we are in the last days, and it may not be long before the times of tribulation, which precede the second coming in the full glory of the Savior Jesus Christ, are upon us. If we are to make it through the times of tribulations without being deceived, if we hope to be a source of strength and help to others in those difficult times, we need to at least be born again through the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And if we have a secret desire in our hearts to see our Savior's face, then the way is given to us to accomplish those desires. Why would we doubt or fear? Seeing the Savior's face and feeling the marks of the nails in his hands and feet are not for the perfect, it is for the obedient. Many Christians have accomplished this, and the Savior himself has encouraged us to do it. Have faith and believe that it can happen for you as well. Remember, the Lord is no respecter of persons, meaning all have his love and are invited to come to him, no matter where they are or what their station in life. D&C 38.16 Section. The Objectives in Writing This Chapter Number 1a. To explain what having a second comforter experience is, and b. How to have your second comforter experience. Number 2. To explain why it is important to have a series of second comforter experiences, not just one. 3. To explain how and why developing this kind of relationship with the Lord leads to other important steps in our progression to become like our Father and Mother in Heaven, such as being born again through the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, receiving our calling and election sure, made sure, learning the importance of and beginning the process of translation, and preparing to welcome our Lord and Savior in glory at his second coming. Number four, to share portions of other people's second comforter experiences to help you be empowered and encouraged to seek your own sacred experiences. Number one A, the definition and understanding of a second comforter experience. It should be remembered that most of our wilderness travelers receiving the Second Comforter will be a series of relatively small but increasingly significant events, such as what the brother of Jared experienced when he first heard the voice of the Lord. Ether 1 verses 40 through 43 and 2 14. When he saw the Lord's finger, Ether 3 6, and finally was admitted into the presence of the Lord, Ether 3 13. 
um, that paragraph is a quote from Blaine M. Jorgensen in a book called Spiritual Progression in the Last Days, page 258. One definition of a second comforter experience is any time during the telestial state when the individual experiences a direct and personal contact with the Messiah. There are varying degrees of experiences with the Savior Jesus Christ, hearing, seeing, and touching. As you separate yourself from the world and become sanctified, you may begin to experience the Lord's presence when praying, or meditating, or serving in your church responsibilities or in the temple. As you continue to seek Him, you may start having conversations with Him, seeing Him with your eye of faith through meditation. There are those who regularly talk with the Lord and have some record, and some record those conversations. They are they ask questions and then record the answers. This might be something you feel inspired to do. You may start having dreams or waking visions with the Lord, perhaps seeing him at a distance as President McKay did. That is found um, on Mormon Wiki, Second Comforter. Um, let's see. So www.mormonwiki.com slash second underscore comforter. You may see him with the Nephites, as Bishop Von J. Featherstone did, that is found on Fair Mormon. That's a really long website. I'm just going to put <laughs> the link in the show notes. You may even see the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Elder Orson F. Whitney did. Uh, that's also on Mormon Wiki. Be patient, for this is not a quick process. Remember the Lord's admonition in Doctrine and Covenants 8868. Therefore sanctify yourselves, that your minds may become single to God, and the day will come that you shall see him for he will unveil his face to you and it shall be in his own time and in his own way according to his own will a second comforter experience can come in a number of ways and with varying amounts of power for our purposes here we will not consider the many appearances of the premortal savior because he would have been seen only in his spirit body when the resurrected christ appeared to certain women mary magdalene the eleven remaining apostles in ancient israel and the disciples on the road to emmaus they saw him with their mortal eyes touched him with their hands and watched him eat food the lord appeared with his glory hidden when the resurrected savior appeared to the nephites at the temple beneful they saw him with their mortal eyes and touched him with their hands the lord again appeared with his glory hidden when the resurrected Savior and Heavenly Father appeared to Joseph Smith for the first time, Joseph was transfigured before the Lord appeared in glory. Joseph saw the Savior in vision and in person on numerous occasions. John the Revelator said that he was in the Spirit when he was visited by the Savior and was shown the visions in the book of Revelation. That's in Revelation 1 verse 10 and 4 verse 2. When Paul beheld the Lord on the road to Damascus, he saw him in vision. What do we learn from all these examples from the scriptures and the life of Joseph Smith and others? We learn there is a wide spectrum of spiritual experiences that fall short of a perfect knowledge, but are yet very valuable in the life of one seeking an audience with the Savior. We learn that a person may see the Lord vaguely, up close or at a distance, in a room or on his throne, in a glorious city or in a dream or in a vision. As this person's faith in the Lord grows, the Lord can appear to him or her without his glory, and they may see and touch and feel him, touch him and feel his marks of the atonement, and they may also be embraced and have a conversation with the Lord. The Lord can appear to a person in his glory, in which case their bodies must be transfigured or they would cease to live. 
He usually appears in a pillar of light in this case. The Lord can also have the person caught away in the spirit, which means their spirit leaves their body to meet the Lord in his glory in a heavenly place. This is the most sublime experience you can have with our Savior. This is an ascension and is the highest form of being with the Lord you can experience. This is when the person is shown many and taught many things and people describe it as being more real than any other experience. Perhaps because all of the person's senses are fully engaged and heightened by being in a spiritual realm. In other words, the Lord can appear to a person at whatever time, in whatever way, in whatever place suits his will and purposes. And through it is, and though it is typical for the Lord to appear in increasingly intimate and more concrete ways as the person develops faith in him, we need to not put a limit on how we expect the Lord to come to us, whether we go up to meet him or whether he comes down to connect with us at home or in the holy temple or out in the farmer's field or in the forest. Does it really matter? Side note, I think it really does. We need to be open to whatever the Lord does and however he might appear to us. We need to leave behind our own unbelief by putting our faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. There are some common threads, though many of the second comforter experiences in the scripture and in modern times. It is common for the Lord to speak your name. This sounds simple enough, but everyone that has experienced it talks about the profound effect it had on them. It is common for the to feel the marks of the nails in Christ's hands and feet and the mark of the spear in his side. This is referred to as an apostolic witness, a sure witness of the marks of the atonement of Jesus Christ. This cannot be duplicated by the adversary. It is common to be embraced by the Lord. This is always spoken of as being beyond description because of the supernal love emanating from the Savior. It is common to have your end-time mission or missions revealed to you. It is common to see some future events. It is common to have the Lord ask you what blessing you want from him. Abraham wanted a birthright son. Noah wanted his family to be saved from the flood. John the Revelator and the three Nephites wanted to be translated to stay on this earth until the Savior returned, etc. Though these are all common threads in many accounts of the second comforter experience, you experience may be similar or different. Whether similar or different, it will be a life-changing experience. One more thing. Do not confuse your personal comforter personal second comforter experience with the temple ordinance called the second anointing. This temple ordinance is for a couple, whereas the second comforter experience is a one-on-one -on -one experience. The second anointing doesn't seem to be done as often as it used to, but a couple is invited to the temple to have all the blessings promised in the initiatory and sealing permanently sealed upon their heads as a couple. This is in force as long as they do not deny the Holy Ghost. The, which is the unpardonable sin. Trust in the Lord that when it is time for you to receive this ordinance, it will happen. Number 1b, how to have your second comforter experience. When the scriptures use the word shall, it is a legal term and it means it will come to pass. Remember Doctrine and Covenants 130, 20-21 says that all blessings are predicated upon law that was made before the foundations of the world, and if we obtain a blessing, it is because we are obedient to that law. So what law governs ha receiving our second comforter experience? In Doctrine and Covenants 93.1, quoted at the beginning of this chapter, the Lord himself gives us the guidelines for what we need to do to come into his presence. A list of five things. Number one, forsake your sins. Two, come unto him, the Savior. Three, call upon his name. Four, obey his voice. And five, keep his commandments. Section, forsake your sins. 
Repentance is a sublime gift. It is what allows us to return or turn back to the Lord and change our lives and our habits with his help. However, it is not enough to simply tell Heavenly Father that you are very sorry and receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is only temporary, dependent on not committing that sin again. You need to receive a permanent remission of your sins. In 3 Nephi 12.2, the Savior said, And again, more blessed are they who shall believe in your words and come down into the depths of humility and be baptized. For they shall be visited with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and shall receive a remission of their sins. True repentance requires humility and a willingness to submit to the will of our Savior. He, no, We have to let him change us, because we don't have the power to change ourselves enough to receive a remission of sins. Elder Bruce R. McConkie explained it this way. Question. When do we receive the actual remission of our sins? When we are changed... When are we changed from our carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness? And when do we become clean and pure and spotless so that we are able to dwell with the gods and angels? What is the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost? Answer. Sins are remitted not in waters of baptism, as we say in speaking figuratively. But when we receive the Holy Ghost, it is the Holy Spirit of God that erases carnality and brings us into a state of righteousness. We become clean when we actually receive the fellowship and companionship of the Holy Ghost. It is then that sin and dross and evil are burned out of our souls as though by fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the baptism of fire. That is in Bruce R. McConkie's New Witness for the Articles of Faith, page 290. So, forsaking our sins is the process of repentance and change until we are born again of the Spirit, receiving our baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. With that new rebirth, we have the desire to have sin burned out of us, and we are new creatures in Christ. More will be said about this process later in this chapter. Section Come Unto the Savior As we come unto the Savior when we repent and are baptized in His name, we come unto Him when we repent daily and weekly and partake of the sacrament, the emblems of his atonement, death and resurrection. We come unto him when we seek to follow in his footsteps by serving our brothers and sisters. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 the Savior said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In coming to the Savior, we learn of his ways, and we follow in his footsteps, doing what he did, taking upon us his yoke. One might think of this as a single yoke that he would put on us. Actually, it's a double yoke, and the Savior is on the other side of the yoke. This means that when the Lord asks us to do something, he is there by our sides and is carrying the majority of the load, and sometimes even carrying us when we are overcome with grief and pain. We need to commit ourselves to doing anything and everything the Lord asks of us. This is critical. As Nephi said in 1 Nephi 3.7, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. What did the Lord ask of Nephi? Nephi had to go on to get the plates of brass after his brothers had refused to go a third time into Jerusalem. Nephi went alone and found Laban out cold from drinking. The spirit whispered to Nephi that he was to kill Laban. Nephi didn't want to do it because he had never killed anyone before. The spirit told him that it was better for one man to die than a whole, for a whole nation, Lehi's descendants in the promised land, to dwindle in unbelief because they didn't have the plates of brass. 
So Nephi obeyed, he passed the test, and it was only after he showed that he would obey everything that the Lord asked of him that he finally saw the vision of the Savior's birth, ministry, and death. It's only after the trial of your faith and faithfulness that you receive the blessings you are seeking. We, like Nephi, come unto the Savior when we are obedient to all that is asked of us. We also come unto the Savior when we enter his holy temple to receive our own endowment, and then return to the temple to extend that blessing to our kindred dead. In the temple we are immersing ourselves in the Holy Spirit and are knocking and seeking. Blaine M. Jorgensen wrote, The crowning blessing of the witness of the wilderness experience, then, is to see and know personally our Savior. As Elder Bruce R. McConkie says, the purposes of the endowment in the house of the Lord is to prepare and sanctify his saints so that they will be able to see his face here and now, as well as bear his glory in the presence in the eternal worlds. That's a quote from Blaine M. Jorgensen's Spiritual Progression in the Last Days, page 251. As you work on coming unto the Savior, you might want to examine your motivation for seeking the face of the Lord. If it is for any prideful purpose, something you can boast about, or that you can check off the gospel list, then you will be disappointed because the Lord knows your heart. If it is because you truly love the Lord and want to serve Him and be with Him, then He will tell you what you need to do to have your heart's desire and come unto Him. Section Call on His Name We don't typically play pray to Christ, we pray to Heavenly Father in the name of Christ. There is only one instance that I know of where people prayed to Christ, and that was when Christ was with the Nephites at the temple in Bountiful and in his own prayer to Heavenly Father. He said he knew it was because he was with them. So how do we call on his name? When we make covenants and perform ordinances, we do them in the name of Christ. Baptism actually is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Confirmation of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the sacrament, and all ordinances of the temple are examples. We receive these ordinances by calling upon the name of Christ. We call upon his name when performing other priesthood ordinances, like setting people apart for a calling and giving blessings. We call on Christ because he descended below all things. He was the first to overcome this world. Because of his perfection, we are able to atone for our sins and become his... No... Because he broke the bands of death, we will also be resurrected. He is our advocate with the Father. We need him to be able to return to our heavenly parents and one day become as they are. Without him, we cannot make it home. So we call on his name and honor him and look to him for our cleansing and redemption and exaltation. Section Obey His Voice What is the voice of the Lord and how do you hear it in order to obey? In Doctrine and Covenants 68.4, the Lord says to his church leadership, And whatsoever they shall speak when moved upon by the Holy Ghost shall be scripture, shall be the will of the Lord, shall be the mind of the Lord, shall be the word of the Lord, shall be the voice of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, we know that when we read the scriptures, we hear the voice of the Lord. That includes modern teachings of the Lord's prophet and apostles. When we follow the ancient and modern prophets' teachings, we are obeying the voice of the Lord. What about when the Lord speaks to you personally? Have you ever had an idea come to you out of the blue, and when you acted upon it or someone else was blessed? The Lord speaks to us through the medium of the light of Christ throughout the day. Most of those promptings are still small things, no, are, are just small things you should do, say, or change. When the Lord really wants to get our attention, the Holy Ghost will speak in a still, small voice. We may even get a strong prompting, hear a voice in our heads, or get what I call a spiritual download. 
We need to listen to the promptings coming from the Lord through the light of Christ and to stronger promptings from the Holy Ghost. When we listen to... No. When we learn to hear these promptings and learn to follow them, we are obeying the voice of the Lord. It is personal revelation, and the more we respond to it, the stronger it grows in us. We will then more easily recognize the promptings. The trick is to respond when you first get the prompting. It also helps to write down the promptings and then to write down what happened after you followed them. Section, Keep His Commandments. Here's the crux of the path of seeing the, Lord, uh, the face of our Lord. Obedience, strict and unwavering. Yes, we can repent of lapses in obedience. Repentance is a heavy gift, no, heavenly gift, and we all need it. But the sooner we each learn to obey commandments with exactness, the sooner we will qualify for all of the blessings the Lord wishes to give us, including his presence. In Alma chapter 57, we read of the young man that Helaman referred to as his sons, young men. These were young Lamanites fighting for the Nephites because their fathers had taken an oath to never take up the sword again. These young men had never fought, but their mothers told them that if they didn't doubt, the Lord would deliver them. And they reported to Helaman that they did not doubt and that their mothers knew this. Alma 56, 47-48 These young men fought as hard as, they, as any of the seasoned soldiers, perhaps even harder, and helped to defeat their enemies. After the battle, Helaman searched for his young sons and found that a thousand of the Nephites had died, but even though many of his young Lamanite soldiers had fainted from the loss of blood, none of them had died. In Alma 57.21, Helaman said, Yea, and they did obey and observe to perform every word of command with exactness, yea, and even according to their faith it was done unto them. And I did remember the words which they said unto me that their mothers had taught them. What does it mean to keep the commandments or our covenants? The 1828 Dictionary Online can be used to look up words that are in the scriptures because their meanings have changed over time. When the Lord uses the word keep in respect to his commandments or covenants, he does not mean to have, to hold, to retain in custody, or to preserve, as if you are keeping something on a shelf to look at it once in a while. What the Lord expects of us is to practice, to do, to perform, and to fulfill. We are meant to practice and perform and fulfill our commandments and our covenants. We only become like our Savior by doing as he did. But what commandments are we talking about? This is vital. Yes, the Ten Commandments are important, but they are the basics. And the Savior, while in his earthly ministry, taught that all commandments come down to just two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Rolled up into these two commandments is repenting, frequently and immediately, forgiving, quickly, and without waiting for the other person to repent or ask forgiveness, being patient in afflictions and reaching out to others in their times of affliction, and learning to serve in love. It also means going to Heavenly Father in sincere prayer, sometimes while fasting, to ask Him to show you where you need to change, what you need to give up, and what you still lack to be able to enter into the presence of your Savior. That's why studying the scripture and the teachings of modern prophets are important. While studying the scriptures and teachings of modern prophets, the Holy Ghost can help you understand them and learn what is important for you to do today, now. He can tell you what your priorities should be today. Prayer is important because you need to know the will of the Lord for your life right now, and listening is very important. Ask Heavenly Father in prayer, what would be the most important thing for you to do, to be doing, to progress spiritually right now? Then listen. 
Listen when you have prayed. Listen in the quiet moments in the day. Listen when you have uplifting music playing. If you get a prompting, write it down and follow it. Then write down how it turned out. This is personal revelation, and you may receive commandments that are personal to you. When you encounter scriptures or writings that inspire you to change your life, follow those promptings. We are in the process of becoming something. Something more righteous, more holy, more sacred, more like our Savior. We need to examine our lives and find those things, including unbelief, that may be hindering us from progressing, and get those things out of our lives. That's what the Savior was trying to teach the rich young man who came to him, asking what he needed to do to have eternal life. Are you beginning to see how important obedience is? Everything we do... To try to draw nearer to the Savior requires obedience. Faith may be the first principle of the gospel, but obedience is, as William D. Oswald said in the January 2008 issue of Enzyme, the first law of heaven. Section, is that all there is to it? So if this, so is this all there is to the formula? Yes and no. Yes, those are the basic steps, but remember that just because the way looks simple does not mean it will always be easy. Joseph Smith taught that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. And according to John 17.3, to know Christ and Heavenly Father is life eternal. Therefore, as we will be required to sacrifice to come to know our Savior, you need to get your personal steps from direct revelation. Yet the Lord, as Nephi attested, makes it doable. The scriptures are full of suggestions regarding the best way to come to know the Lord and to seek his presence. For example, study the Beatitudes in 3 Nephi 12 through 14. It requires fasting and prayer, feasting upon the words of Christ, scriptures and other inspired words, and then you have to apply all the things that you have learned through prayer and study. The temple teaches us how to speak to the Lord through the veil and then to enter his presence. Think about what you have learned about this process in the temple. You also need to be aware that your experience is going to be different than every, anyone else's, so you need to follow your own personal revelation as to what you should study and how to apply the principles you learn and what you need to eliminate from your life. Neil A. Maxwell, one of my favorite authors, said in a BYU devotional, The Christian receives a customized curriculum in life, which is but one of many signs that we have a loving and knowing Heavenly Father in heaven. That is from his address in 1976, Insights from My Life. In Ether 12.27, the Lord, speaking to Mormon, said, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me, and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. A presenter made some interesting comments about what he had learned in the past year at the Preparing a People conference down in Mesa, Arizona in November 2018. He said, My style in the podcast, referring to his old podcast, was step one, step two, and I even drew diagrams showing stair steps like this. And you don't get to step two by bypassing step one, and you don't get to step four by skipping over two and three. And that's kind of the way it went. Well, I want you to know that our Father and Son can do what they want, any way they want. That's the first thing I learned. My thinking and expectation were that these things had to happen this way, this way, one thing followed after another thing. I've since found that when we don't limit them, they can do it any way they want. They can take four things that I would list in sequence, one, two, three, four, and they can do them not only in any other sequence, but they can also do them all at once if they want. That was a great revelation for me. 
And I'll link that podcast in the description below. So even though the steps of being born again, also called being baptized by fire and by the Holy Ghost, and thus becoming a son or daughter of Christ and having your calling and election made sure through the more sure word of prophecy and then having the second comforter experiences are usually listed in that order, you need to understand that your experience will not necessarily follow that sequence. Every person's experience is different when it comes to seeking yeah, seeking to speak with the Lord through the veil and then piercing it and seeing him face to face. So don't be surprised if you experience things differently than others have. Let the Lord guide you to the experience he wants you to have. Something else to remember, our desire to come into the Savior's presence cannot be accompanied if we shut ourselves away from the world. No matter how much time we spend reading the scriptures, fasting, on our knees, praying, reading, conference talks, and inspiring books, meditating and pondering on principles of the gospel or the meanings of the covenants, if we are not wearing out our lives in doing those things the Master has taught, how can we hope to come into his presence? If we are not sacrificed and consecrated our time and means to lifting, teaching, supporting, and guiding others to him, then he will not truly change and become like him. We have not truly changed and become like him. And if we are not like him, we will not be comfortable in his presence. This is not a gospel of monks who have cloistered themselves away from the world, but a gospel where we would ex we are expected to get our hands dirty and to fall into bed tired out from the efforts of the day, efforts that have blessed the lives of others. This is what our Savior did and what he expects us to do. John Taylor and Joseph Smith... No, John Taylor said Joseph Smith told me never to arise in the morning without bowing before the Lord and dedicating myself to him during that day. Here is a true story of a final exam by a religion teacher at BYU that taught the students a life lesson in living the gospel. The religion teacher posted a note on the door of the room when the students, <clears throat> where the students thought they were going to take the final exam. The note told them to go to a particular room in another building across campus. The students would have to hurry if they were going to make it on time to take their exam. Along the path, the students would need to take. Yeah, along the path, the students would need to take. The professor had stationed three people who each had a problem that required assistance from someone passing by. The students who were in a hurry to take the exam and ignored the three people in need found that in their rush they would get to the other building in time. They had failed their final exam. The people in need were the exam, and only those who stopped to help had learned the lessons their teacher had been trying to get across to them that semester. Let us not be in such a hurry to have your second comforter experience that we miss the whole point of what the Lord is trying to teach us. Section. Be encouraged. This is something you can do. Speaking of the possibility of seeing the Savior in this life, John Pontius has written, But this truth remains. If you have the faith and courage to believe it, it is not beyond your reach. You have only to reorder your thinking to achieve it. It requires a willingness to sacrifice to present the present course of your life. It requires you to change, to allow yourself to be directed and guided in a manner you never thought of possible, into paths you didn't know were there, accomplishing miracles you never dreamed possible. It requires obedience on a celestial scale. Once we realize that every wholesome prompting coming into our mind day or night is revelation, is the voice of the Lord, is our opportunity to hear and obey, we will have the path in sight. Making this realization is the easy part. The hard part is to change our mindset to one of absolute obedience. Even this becomes a joy as we begin to experience the sweet fruits of our obedience. 
He will bless us with increasingly obedient heart as we take hold of the rod of iron. That is found in Following the Light of Christ into His Presence from John Pontius, page 212. Remember the Lord truly desires to show himself to you. I encourage you to seek your own witness, to seek light and truth, and to read the scriptures, read and study the scriptures as you invite our Savior Jesus Christ to be with you. He has all the time in the world for us. As time, <clears throat> as we know it, does not exist for him, he truly is there for us in involved in involved individually in our lives. Jesus can and does come to us anytime, anywhere, here upon this earth. He especially comes to us in our trials and struggles in this mortal realm to strengthen us and give us support. He knows what we are going through and how to help us. We are invited to seek our own witness from Jesus Christ and that he will manifest truth to us. In the Book of Mormon it states in Moroni 10, 3-5, Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men, from the creation of Adam even down unto the time that he sh ye shall receive these things, and ponder it in your hearts. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if he shall ask with a sincere heart, with a real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. Please seek to know for yourself the truth of these teachings and seek your own confirmation and witness of the scriptures. For as we study the scriptures, new understandings and insights come to us. We come into the church of the firstborn when we receive Jesus Christ our second comforter, and then have the reception ratified by the Holy Ghost, which is the Holy Spirit of promise. It is a confirmation that the experience with the Savior was indeed real. What an amazing promise from, the, from Jesus Christ himself. We are to continue to seek to come unto Jesus. The promise he gives us is stated in Doctrine and Covenant 76, 52-54, that by keeping the commandments they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who was ordained and sealed unto this power, and who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise which the Father sheds upon all who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. Knowing and seeing Jesus Christ in his glory is to have the promise of eternal life. The prophet Enoch, in the Pearl of Great Price, declared in Moses 7.4, I saw the Lord, and he stood before my face, and he talked with me, even as a man talketh one with another. So we need to ask, believe, and seek to know and talk to and receive our glorious Savior and Redeemer in his full glory. So how will you know what you need to do to enter the glorious presence of our Lord and Savior? Read these two scriptures. 2 Nephi 32.3 Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you ye should do. Also 2 Nephi 32.5 For uh, behold again I say unto you that if ye will enter into the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what you should do. Notice the first scripture says the words of Christ. The words that have come to man through the power of the Holy Ghost equals scriptures. These will tell you all things that you should do, and the Holy Ghost will show you all things that you should do. No mortal, well, no mortal can tell you all the things you need to do to see Jesus Christ. Ultimately, you need to get your personal progress program from the Savior through the Holy Ghost. That is how you will know that the Lord would have you do to enter his presence.
Number two, the importance of receiving your second comforter many times in your life. Elder McConkie said, It is the privilege of all those who have made their calling and election sure to see God, to talk with him face to face, to commune with him on a personal basis from time to time. These are all, no, these are the ones upon whom the Lord sends the second comforter. Their inheritance of exaltation and eternal life is assured, and so it becomes with them here and now in this life as it will be with all exalted beings in the life to come. They become the friends of God and converse with him on a friendly basis as one man speaks to another. There are, of course, those whose callings and elections have been made sure, who have never exercised the faith nor exhibited the righteousness, which would enable them to commune with the Lord on the promised basis. That is from Bruce R. McConkie, Promised Messiah, page 584 through 86. We are to seek to have a series of second comforter experiences to seek for more guidance and direction. There is so much more for us to learn and so much for us yet to do. As we faithfully and humbly submit to our Savior, we can be like Nephi, Moses, and Joseph Smith. We can be taught by the Savior himself to understand how the principles of the gospel really work and how to accomplish our missions in this life. Our eternal goal is to become as our Savior and Heavenly Parents are, exalted men and women who understand the laws of eternity and how to create and bring spirit children into being. Men are invited to become kings and priests unto the Most High God. Women are invited to become queens and priestesses unto the Most High God. How does this happen? How do we get from where we are up to deity and become one with them and to truly become like them? How do we realize our purpose, and our mission of our lives. This is what we can learn by having many visits with our Savior and being tutored by Him. As we progress through the levels of ascension, as we will be prepared to become kings and queens, priests and priestesses, then gods and goddesses to the Most High God. We can come to know Jesus Christ and our heavenly parents, who are united in purpose but also distinct beings. We are to seek multiple second comforter experiences always through Jesus Christ. Knowing and receiving, God the Father is receiving our third comforter, and being in the presence of and presented to Mother in Heaven is receiving our fourth comforter. Receiving our second comforter is the beginning of the many glorious experiences with Elohim. We are taught in Doctrine and Covenants 3, 2, For God doth not walk in crooked paths, neither doth he turn to the right hand nor to the left, neither doth he vary from that which he has said. Therefore his paths are straight, and his course is one eternal round. It is crucial and vital for us to not only seek comforter, second comforter experiences in this mortality, but to have a series of second comforter experiences so that we may meet and know our heavenly parents. We should seek to learn who we are to them, so that we might become like them. Moroni states in Ether 1241, And now I would commend you to seek this Jesus, of whom the prophets and apostles have written, that the grace of... No, yeah that the grace of God the Father and also of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of them, may be and abide in you forever. Amen. We are commanded and admonished to seek Jesus. He is real and he is there. His love and grace for us are so enduring and magnificent. Why wouldn't we want to spend more time with him once we have finally met with him face to face? Number three. Developing our relationship with the Lord leads to other important steps. A. Covenants, which bring us closer with the Lord and with our Heavenly Parents. We make covenants with our Heavenly Father in the name of our Savior. These covenants bring us closer into closer relationships with the Lord as we keep them. 
Baptism is the entry level for getting through the gate to access the covenant path back to our Savior. This brings us in on the servant level. All through the beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants, Joseph Smith was referred to as my servant by the Lord. As we learn to be good servants, we may feel the Lord's approbation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then we males take upon ourselves first the Aaronic and then the Melchizedek priesthood. All worthy members of the church go to the temple and take upon ourselves further covenants, obedience, and sacrifice for the gospel of Jesus Christ, remaining chaste in our relationships and consecrating ourselves to the Lord's kingdom. As we learn to keep and honor these covenants, we can advance to the friend level. We still have the responsibilities of the servant level as we receive an increase in covenant, as in with the priesthood. New responsibilities are added while encompassing the previous ones. This is true for each covenant level. Abraham was known as a friend of God. The born-again and baptism of fire of the Holy Ghost level is the inheritance or son-daughter level. This is an important step closer to the Lord. This indicates our level of dedication to the Lord and his gospel. We still have the responsibility of servants and friends, but we have the added benefit of being children of the Lord. The final level in which you are brought into the Lord's presence and you will be trusted to be as close as you can to the Lord, you become the bride to him as he is the bridegroom. Doctrine and Covenant 76, 50 through 60 are the verses of those who have come up to this level. Study these verses to discover what is possible while still in mortality. Notice which verses use the future tense and which verses use the present tense. This is a very enlightening exercise. Step 3b. Being born again, baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. To start off, let's look at what the Encyclopedia of Mormonism has to say about the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost refers to the experience of an individual who receives the ordinance of the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is a second in a two-part sequence following baptism by immersion in water, through which the repentant person committed to Christ and his gospel is born of God or born again. As Jesus explained to Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, John 3.5. Commenting on this passage, Joseph Smith remarked, Baptism by water is but half a baptism. It is good for nothing without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 314. The baptism of fire, ministered by the Holy Ghost, is manifested through a set of personal sensations, impressions, and insights that constitute a spiritual witness from deity that one has received a remission of sins. 2 Nephi 31.17 The baptism of fire inaugurates the transmission of the spiritual gifts of the faithful to assist them throughout their life in remaining true to their baptismal covenant. 1 Corinthians 12, Moroni 10, 8-23, Doctrine and Covenants 46, 10-33. All of that is the quote from the Encyclopedia of Mormonism. Uh, William S. Bradshaw, Baptism of Fire and the Holy Ghost. I will put that link in the show notes. We have two wonderful examples of being born again in the Book of Mormon. First are the pertinent scriptures to show us, no, show what happened to those who had these experiences with most pertinent parts in bold. And then there is a list of the important points of the experiences that coincide with the scriptures. The first example is the experience found in Enos 1, 3-18. 
Enos reported that his soul hungered, and he knelt down and cried unto his maker in mighty prayer and supplication for his soul. He prayed all day and into the night until a voice came unto him and told him, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. He then prayed earnestly for the welfare of his people, the Nephites. Eventually, Enos was assured that the Nephites would be blessed as long as they were diligent in keeping the commandments. Then Enos's faith became unshaken, and he labored in prayer for the welfare of the Lamanites. He was told that the Nephites were destroyed, that if the Nephites were destroyed, they would leave behind a record that would one day be brought forth and taken to the remnant of the Lamanites to teach them who they are, uh, no, who they were, and of Christ. Enos knew that the Lamanites had sworn to destroy the Nephite records, and he prayed they would be preserved. The Lord told Enos that anything he asked in faith in Christ would be granted to him, and he was promised the records would be protected. We know Enos was blessed with the gifts of the Spirit because he then started prophesying among his people. The other example is the scripture of the people of King Benjamin, found in Mosiah 2-5. through This is a magnificent story of how not only an individual can change, but a group of people can change. In Mosiah 4, verse 2, they were so moved by King Benjamin's speech that they cried out with one voice, O have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and our hearts may be purified, for we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who created heaven and earth and all things, who shall come down among the children of men. In Mosiah 4.20, King Benjamin went on preaching to the people and said, And behold, even at this time ye have been calling on his name and begging for a remission of your sins, and he and has he suffered that ye have begged in vain? Nay, he has poured out a spirit upon you, and has caused that your heart should be filled with joy, and has caused that your mouth should be stopped, that ye could not find utterance. So exceeding great was your joy. In Mosiah 5, 2-5, they again all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of a surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent, which was wrought a mighty change in us, or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. And we ourselves also, through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his Spirit, have great views of that which is to come, and were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. And it is the faith which we have had on these things which our king has spoken unto us that has brought us unto this great knowledge, whereby we do rejoice with such exceeding great, exceedingly great joy. And we are willing to enter into the covenant with our God to do his will and to be obedient to his commandments in all things that he shall command us all the remainder of our days. King Benjamin was very pleased with the change and choices of his people. In Mosiah 5, 7-9, he told them, And now... Because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore ye are born of him, and have become his sons and daughters. And under this head ye are made free. And there is no other head whereby ye can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore I would that you should take upon you the name of Christ." all you that have entered into the covenant with God, that ye should be obedient unto the end of your lives. And it shall come to pass that whosoever doeth this shall be found at the right hand of God, for he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. King Benjamin then warned his people that they could lose the status they had just gained. In Mosiah 5, 11-12 he said, And I would that ye should also remember that this is the name that I said I should give unto you, that 
should never be blotted out, except it should be through transgression. Therefore take heed that you do not transgress, that the name be not blotted out of your hearts. And I say unto you, I would that you should remember to retain the name written always in your hearts, that ye are not found on the left hand of God, but that ye hear and know the voice by which ye shall be called, and also the name by which he shall call you. The people received one last warning, as King Benjamin concluded in Mosiah 5.15, Therefore, I would that ye should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord God Omnipotent may seal you his, that you may be brought to heaven, that ye may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things, in heaven and in earth, who is God above all. Amen. So what do we learn about the process of being born again and receiving baptism of fire and by the Holy Ghost from these two stories? And it's a huge bullet point for a couple pages. <laughs> Enos's soul hungered. It was a very sincere desire of his heart to approach the Lord. He knelt, including his humility, Oh, indicating his humility, in mighty prayer and supplication, praying all day and into the night, he was persistent and showed he had a broken heart and contrite spirit and a great desire. A voice comes to Enos and tells him that his sins are forgiven and he will be blessed. He then labors in prayer earnestly for the souls of his people and their enemies, indicating that his ability to love others had grown. Enos is told by the voice of the people he would be blessed as long as they are obedient, and the Lamanites will not be forgotten, but will one day be given a chance to read the records left by the Nephites and will be able to come to the Lord. Enos's faith becomes unshakable. Enos is told that he will be granted anything for which he prayed for in faith. After King Benjamin teaches his people, they fall down and beg for their sins to be forgiven, expressing faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because they called on the name of Christ with such faith, their sins were remitted. They had the Holy Ghost come upon them. Their hearts were filled with great joy. They announced that the Spirit of the Lord had changed them in their hearts so that they were no longer disposed to do evil, but to do always do good. They were blessed with the gifts of the Spirit, such as seeing visions and being able to prophesy. Because of their great joy, they wanted to enter into a covenant to be obedient the rest of their lives. King Benjamin said that because of these changes caused by the Holy Ghost, they were not no, they were now reborn as children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. If they remained faithful to their covenant, they would be found on the right hand of God, indicating they were accepted into the kingdom of God in heaven. They were warned that transgression would wipe out Christ's name in their heart, and then they would be found on the left hand of God, indicating that they could not live where God lives. King Benjamin told them that if they would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, Christ the Lord God Omnipotent would seal them as his, indicating that they are not yet had their calling and election mature, that they might be brought to heaven to have their second comforter experience, maybe, that they might have everlasting salvation and eternal life. So let's compare the list above with the following scripture which comes from 1st Nephi, who lived before Enos and King Benjamin. 2nd Nephi 31, 13-21 states, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, 
but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that ye are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following the Lord with your Savior down into the water according to his word, behold, then ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then can ye speak with the tongue of angels, and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel, but behold, my beloved brethren, Thus came the voice of the Son unto me, saying, After ye have repented of your sins, and witness unto the Father that ye are willing to keep my commandments by the baptism of water, and have received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and can speak with a new tongue, yea, even with the tongue of angels, and after this shall... Uh, and after this should deny me, it would have been better for you that ye had not known me. And I heard a voice of the Father saying, Yea, the words of my beloved are true and faithful. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And now, my beloved brethren, I know that by this, that unless a man shall endure to the end, in following the example of the Son of the living God, he cannot be saved. Wherefore, do the things which I have told you. I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. For, for this cause have they been shown unto me, that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then are ye in the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Yea, ye have entered into the gate, ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and of the Son, and ye have received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the Father and of the Son unto the fulfilling of the promises which he hath made, that if ye entered in by the way ye should receive. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into the straight and narrow pass, I would ask all is, if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, which with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope, and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. And now, behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way, nor name given under heaven, whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. So, baptism by water only gets you into the gate, but it is being born again, having the Holy Ghost with you as a constant companion that sets your feet on the covenant path back to the Savior, and then to our Heavenly Parents. And the requirements, as listed in the experiences of Enos and King Benjamin's people, are almost identical to what Nephi spelled out in his Doctrine of Christ sermon. In fact, the requirements to experience the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost are the same as the requirements for having your calling and election made sure and having your second comforter experience. The difference is enduring to the end and going through all the trials you will face each step of the way with humility, patience, unwavering obedience, and enduring with faith in Jesus Christ and his love for you. Here is an addition made by the Savior himself in 3 Nephi 9.20. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. In Moses 6, 60-61, we are taught, For by the water ye keep the commandment, by the Spirit ye are justified, and by the blood ye are sanctified. Therefore it is given to abide in you the record of heaven, the comforter, the peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things, 
that which quickeneth all things, which maketh alive all things, which knoweth all things, and hath all power according to wisdom, mercy, truth, justice, and judgment. We are commanded to be baptized by water and also by fire and by the Holy Ghost. We need to be both justified, meaning fully cleansed and purified by the Holy Ghost, thus receiving a remission of sins, having all desire to do evil burned out of us and then sanctified, meaning to be made holy by the blood of Christ and his holy atonement. The way is clearly spelled out in the scriptures. What is stopping us from having such an exquisite experience? Elder D. Todd Christopherson said, You may ask, why doesn't this mighty change happen more quickly with me? You should remember that the remarkable examples of King Benjamin's people, Alma, and some others in scriptures are just that, remarkable and not typical. That is from his conference talk, Born Again, April 20... No, 2008. For most of us, the changes are more gradual and occur over time. Being born again, unlike our physical birth, is more a process than an event, and engaging in that process is the central purpose of mortality. At the same time, let us not justify ourselves in a casual effort. Let us not content, be content to remain or retain some disposition to do evil. Let us worthily partake of the sacrament each week and continue to draw upon the Holy Spirit to root out the last vestiges of impurity within us. I testify that as you continue in the path of spiritual rebirth, the atoning grace of Jesus Christ will take away your sins and the stain of those sins in you. Temptations will lose their appeal and through Christ you will become holy as he and uh, our Father are holy. I find it interesting that Elder Christopherson describes this rebirth as a process that happens to most of us. I can't help but wonder if it might not be because most of us do not pay the price to have the experience of Enos or the people of King Benjamin. We can have multiple baptisms of fire during our life as we reach higher levels of spirituality, but if we lapse back into our comfortable ways or even part way back into our comfortable ways, we do not maintain all of the growth we had started to achieve. If the sermon that King Benjamin gives at the end of his life is an indicator of his other sermons, I would venture to guess that his people had been well taught. They were very prepared for both his last sermon and the experience of finally giving themselves over to Christ so completely that they were as a people all born again at the same time. I also believe that Enos was well taught by his father Jacob, but he had not paid the price until his father had passed away. The records had come into his hands, and the responsibility of teaching the people true doctrine had fallen onto his shoulders. I suspect that this was responsibility. No, that this responsibility was why he started reflecting on his father's words, and started hungering after a remission of his sins. What if a person was willing to pay the price? I'm not disputing that most of the time the change happens as a process, but I can't help but think that when a person hits the point when they are hungering after righteousness and a closer relationship with the Lord, and they humbly lay their broken heart and contrite spirit on the altar, go before the Lord in mighty prayer and unshaken faith in Jesus Christ and spend whatever time it takes to call down the powers of heaven, it might not be possible to have a voice tell them that they have received a remission of their sins and that they are now reborn as a child of Christ. It is my hope and prayer that this is possible, just as entering into the presence of the Lord is possible. In fact, it has happened to others. Here is only one example. In Joseph Smith History 1, 73-74, we learn of the beautiful restoration of the priesthood that took place on May 15, 1829 at the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. We also learn of the baptism of water, fire, and Holy Ghost on both Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. 
Immediately upon our coming out of the water, after we had been baptized, we experienced great and glorious blessings from our Heavenly Father. No sooner had I baptized Oliver Cowdery than the Holy Ghost fell upon him, and he stood up and prophesied many things, which should shortly come to pass. And again, so soon as I had been baptized by him, I also had the spirit of prophecy. When standing up, I prophesied concerning the rise of this church, and many other things connected with the church, and this generation of the children of men. We were filled with the Holy Ghost and rejoiced in the God of our salvation. Our minds being now enlightened, we began to have the scriptures laid open to our understandings, and the true meaning and intention of their more mysterious passages revealed unto us in a manner which we never could attain to previously, nor ever before had thought of. In the meantime, we were forced to keep secret the circumstances of our having received the priesthood and our having been baptized, owing to a spirit of persecution which had already manifested itself in the neighborhood. I love that the minds, their minds were open to the understandings the scriptures more fully, and that they were able to prophesy and have the spirit of prophecy. Why would the examples of two different born-again experiences be in the Book of Mormon, if it were not possible to have such an experience. It is my testimony that if it is possible, if one is willing to pay the price, and the experience leads to the others. Joseph Smith said, After a person hath faith in Christ, repent of his sins, and is baptized for the remission of his sins, and receives the Holy Ghost by laying on of hands, which is the first comforter, then let him continue to humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and living by every word of God. And the Lord should soon say to him, Son, Thou shalt be exalted, etc. When the Lord has thoroughly proved him and finds that the man is determined to serve him at all hazards, then the man will find his calling and election made sure. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, which the Lord hath promised in the saints, as recorded in the testimony of St. John in the 14th chapter from the 12th, 12th through the 27th verses. Now what is the other comforter? It is no more or less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and this is the sum and substance of the whole matter. That when a man obtains this last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him, or appear unto him from time to time, and even he will manifest the Father unto him, and they will take up their abode with him, and the vis visions of the heavens will be opened unto them, him, and the Lord will teach him face to face, and he will may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That was compiled by Joseph Fielding Smith in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 150 through 151. Section. Calling an election made sure. This has been addressed in another chapter, so we are just mentioning it here to show that it is one of the important steps in coming to know Christ. Section. Coming into the presence of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. John 14.23 reads, Jesus answered and said to them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This certainly sounds like the Savior will introduce a man or a woman to Heavenly Father when he or she has proven worthy of such a visit. There was also the time during the school of the prophets that Zebedee Coltrane said two personages walked by one at a time, and Joseph asked if the brethren if they knew who they were. They did not, and Joseph told them that the first was the Son of God and the second was the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I'll put the link to that in the description below. And if Heavenly Father would take up his abode with a mortal man, most likely the mortal would have been taken up in the spirit to Heavenly Father, then it would follow that when the person was ready, he or she could then meet Heavenly Mother. What a sublime experience, to meet one's Heavenly Parents while still a mortal. There are no words to describe what an incredible experience that would be. Section. Translation. 
This is also covered in another chapter, but it is one of the steps that may be attained in mortality. We have no idea how many people have achieved this level. We know of the three Nephites and at least two other prophets in the Book of Mormon who disappeared without a trace at the end of their lives, Alma the Elder and Nephi the son of Helaman. Moses also had a sepulcher known only to God, which may mean he has also been translated. Yeah. I have read the patriarchal blessings of some LDS pioneers who were promised that they would be translated. As we enter the times that will that will require the 144,000 high priests and presumably their wives to go out into the world that is on fire with wars and plagues and desolations of all kind, they will need to be translated to accomplish their work of taking saints from dangerous areas to places of safety and also finding those who are honest in heart who don't want to be part of the wars. If they were not translated, those 144,000 would be subject to capture, torture, and death. Then where will all the translated men and women come from? Perhaps they are being readied now, and prepared for the time when they will be translated and sent forth to preach the gospel in all the world, and to gather those who wish to join the body of Christ. Section. All in preparation for the second coming of our Savior in glory. Wherefore, the Savior tells us, be faithful and praying always, having your lamps trimmed and burning and oil with you, that you may be ready at the coming of the bridegroom. For behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, that I come quickly. Doctrine and Covenants 33, 17 through 18. Elder Dallin H. Oaks was quoting the Savior who was referring to the parable of the ten virgins. This parable is the example of those who were ready and those who weren't when the bridegroom came and to claim his bride. That is from Dallin H. Oaks Conference, April 2004, Preparation for the Second Coming. Elder Neil L. Anderson speaking to the young men who hold the priesthood, said, Your mission will be a sacred opportunity to bring others to Christ and help prepare for the second coming of the Savior. That is from April 2011 General Conference, Preparing the World for the Second Coming. In October 2018, there were several references on how to prepare for the Savior's second coming. Elder Quintnell Cook said this, President Nelson, from his initial address to the members of the church in January, has exhorted us to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ by walking the covenant path. World conditions increasingly require deepening individual conversion to and strengthening faith in Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ in his atonement. The Lord has prepared us line upon line for the perilous times that we now face. That is October 2018, deep and lasting conversion to Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. President Russell M. Nelson in the women's session said, I love you and thank you and now bless you with the ability to leave the world behind as you assist in this crucial and urgent work. Together we can do all that our Heavenly Father needs us to do to prepare the world for the second coming of his beloved son. Um, that's October 2018, Sisters Preparation in the Gathering of Israel. President Nelson later said, My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that you that if we will do our best to restore the correct name of the Lord's church, he whose church this is will pour down his power and blessing upon the heads of Latter-day Saints. That is October 2018, the correct name of the church. The likes of which we have never seen. We will have the knowledge and power of God to help us in take the blessings of the restored gospel to Jesus Christ to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people and prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. The conference before that one had even more references to the second coming, including 
in the music saying in the prayer said, Why am I quoting all these references? It seems to me that it is on the minds of our leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that we are, in actuality, preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We don't know how many years away it will be, but it behooves us to take counsel from our leaders and prepare ourselves, our families, and those in our neighborhoods and communities as much as we can. In order to do that, we need the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. It takes time and effort to gain that kind of access to the third member of the Godhead. The sooner we get started learning to hear and follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost, the sooner we will have our baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. The sooner we have our calling and election made sure, the sooner we will have our second comforter encounters, the sooner we will be prepared to be translated to help in the final gathering of the honest in heart across the earth. Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. That is April 2018, Revelation for the Church and Revelation for Our Lives. Russell M. Nelson. Section 4. Example of People's Second Comforter Experiences Because we wish to avoid sensational, sensationalizing these accounts, we are not going to put in the actual names of the people who had these experiences. They are simply common members of the church who hold no important callings, as they themselves often say. We want you to understand it is possible, and that there is not just one way to have a personal experience with the Lord. As you read these accounts, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and help you see what is possible for you. Example number one. I consider you friends. For the most part, I keep to myself, especially when it comes to my sacred experiences, except when called upon by the Spirit to share. For the past little while, I have felt the Spirit directing me to share my most sacred experiences with you because I believe that they will be helpful for you on your journey to see the face of the Savior. Please know that I don't make it a habit to share my most sacred experiences, but the Spirit continues to remind me that I need to share with this group so that you can know how to see God's face and to know that it is possible in this life. In the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, he says, Four destroying angels are holding power over the four quarters of the earth until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads, which signifies sealing the blessing upon their heads and meaning the everlasting covenant, thereby making their calling and election sure. Until God's people are sealed in their foreheads, the destroying angels in the four corners of the earth will not be fully loosed. This means that God's people need to know and understand how to make that happen for themselves. This is why I feel it is important that I share my experience. I know that everyone's experience is different, but I believe the steps we each need to take to get there are the same. I have kept silent on this subject because I do not want to be accused of casting my pearls before swine, but I do not believe I am doing that. In the Cambridge Dictionary, that means to offer something valuable or good to someone who does not know its value. I believe I'm casting my pearls before friends because they know the value of it and will treasure it accordingly. These events are very sacred to me, so please be kind and treasure them as you would any pearl of great price. My second comforter experience came almost five years ago, and it came in the temple. I had just read Visions of Glory from John Pontius. Uh, the footnote uh, just references uh, where to get it. And I was very worried about the future, and the future of my family. I had been awakened many times during the night to spirits in my bedroom. I could not see them, but I felt them, and could feel their thoughts. This frightened me. It was a new gift of the spirit that I was experiencing, and I did not know how to react to it. My Relief Society 
had a temple trip one Saturday morning, and I decided to join them to ponder more about the new gift and find peace in the temple. While I was in the temple and watching the video, I thought to myself, if I can communicate with angels, then I should be able to talk with Adam. So I called out his name in my mind. I felt him answer. I asked him how it was that he was able to leave the beautiful Garden of Eden and go into the lone and dreary world. I asked him how I was going to be able to live in the world presented in that book and still find peace. I felt him say two things, that he was strictly obedient and that he put his trust in the Father. He said that if I do these two things, I will find joy and peace even in hardship. I then started doubting. I started thinking, am I crazy? Do I really think Adam has the time to talk to me? I really am crazy. But then I started thinking, well, if it was Adam, then this is the house of the Lord, and so the Savior should be here. I desired more than anything to talk to him, so I cried out, Lord, where art thou? Please, can I speak with thee? Nothing. The video ended, and with it, I felt I had lost my chance to speak with the Savior, and had resigned myself to the fact that I was indeed crazy. Then it came time for the prayer circle. They had the witness couple and everyone else ready to start. When the officiator walked over to me, I was sitting in the front row. He bent over and quietly said, I feel very strongly that you need to be in the prayer circle today. I had never seen an officiator do this before. I was with the Relief Society, so my husband wasn't even with me, but the Spirit told me to accept, so I did. And they asked for another brother to volunteer to accompany me. As soon as I accepted, I could feel the room be filled with angels, and they were excited. They kept saying to get ready for something amazing because something incredible was about to happen. There were so many angels around that I nearly felt overwhelmed from their excitement. As I stood in the circle leading up to the prayer, the very frame of my body began to shake. I trembled, knowing that I was going to get my opportunity to see the Savior. There was no doubt in my mind. I knew it. The moment I covered my head with my veil and closed my eyes, I began to see a light that became brighter and brighter until I saw the face of the Savior. The immensity of light and the power of glory is so great that I couldn't stop trembling. He told me that he loved me very much and that I wasn't crazy. The love and peace I felt were overwhelming, and any time I'm struggling, I simply revisit that moment and I am at peace once again. After the prayer, I was sobbing, and I was so weak that I, it was difficult to get back to my seat. I just looked around at everyone and wondered how they could be so oblivious to what just happened. My Relief Society president, however, was not. She leaned over and asked what happened in the circle, because the spirit was stronger than she had ever felt it before. I told her, and both of us sobbed. This was my second comforter experience. It was filled with angels, light, and communication directly from the Savior himself. As for calling an election, I learned about that more recently, just a few months ago. I had been saying my prayers visually for a while, meaning that when I kneel down to pray, I imagine I am kneeling at the feet of Heavenly Father, and I am speaking to him, much like I would my own father, and more reverently. One day, as I tried to visualize it, I felt it was important to make sure I was completely pure and sanctified, so my vision changed, and I saw myself at the altar of the temple with the Savior standing as the officiator. I kneeled down and gave him all my burdens, all my weaknesses, and everything that was keeping me out of the presence of Heavenly Father. I laid it all up on the altar, and he took it and blessed it and turned it into the light and sent it out into the world to bless others. He then filled my heart with light, love, and pure joy. From then on, I did this before every prayer, so that I could be clean and sanctified before I approached Father in prayer. I specifically asked to be forgiven of all things that keep me from the from God's presence. After several prayers like this, one day the vision changed, and after I had laid everything on the altar and received Christ's gift in return, he led me to the veil behind him. He became the officiator at the veil, and he knocked three times. A hand came through the veil, and I knew whose it was. We went through the process, just like in the temple, and in the end, God pulled me through the veil, and I stood in his presence. He pulled me in, hugged me tight, 
His feelings of love were overwhelming, and I was caught away in the spirit. I remember how much I loved him while I lived in heaven and how much I missed him. We walked arm in arm around the heavenly throne room, and he asked me what I desired most. I told him that I desired to have my calling election made sure. He looked at me and smiled and said, Your name? You already have it. I told him that I didn't understand how that was possible since I am so riddled with faults and weaknesses. He said, My dearest daughter, perfection is not required. There will still be many mistakes made, much learning and experiences to be had, even in the millennium. You will always be learning and growing through your experiences. What is required is a pure heart. I know your heart will always be, uh, always has been mine. I then asked him, if I already have had it, if I could have the gift that John the Bele of John the Beloved instead. He said, not yet, for there is still much work for you to do here on earth, but in time it can be yours. I thanked him and spent several more hour, uh, several <laughs> hours, several more minutes thanking him and basking in his goodness and love when the vision ended. I ended my prayer and opened my eyes, which were bathed in tears. Since that time, I have had many beautiful conversations with Father and the Savior, and even with Heavenly Mother. They all are there, waiting to speak with us, and they are all cheering us on from heaven. As I said before, I know everyone's experience is different, but I truly believe that most, if not all of them, begin with being able to see through the eyes of faith and imagining yourself standing before God, just as Alma taught. I know God lives, I know the Savior lives, I testify that they are there, and if we seek them, we surely will find them. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Example number two. First testimony. On April 14th of an unspecified year, I was carried away into the heavenly temple. I shook the hand of an angel that was my guide. I saw and heard both father and son speak to me. The experience involved sight, touch, sound, and smell. It was as real as anything I had experienced in my day-to-day -day life, only the glory and intelligence conveyed is indescribable. This was not my last encounter beyond the veil. I am a witness that Jesus Christ lives. He is real. He is a real, tangible being. If you seek and accept his messengers and prepare the way, he will come suddenly to his temple and reveal himself. He wants us to understand how well he knows us, and he wants to continue that personal relationship he already has with us which we can't remember in this estate. I know this because I have experienced this as one man speaks to another. Jesus Christ is the second comforter. He literally came to me and has comforted me. This is not a full statement of my witness. I share my testimony so that you may know that Christ lives. His work is to save imperfect people. I hope that this testimony will allow you to exercise faith enough to avail yourselves of those blessings. Second testimony as posted on an undisclosed forum. Early in the morning on October 25th, after a night of prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ suddenly came to my room in a resurrected body of fire and glory. Part of the ordinances of that occasion included the obligation to declare the witness that I posted at this site for the period of two years. The obligation has now been satisfied. I met Christ while fully awake, completely sober, with no drugs, alcohol, or other mind-altering substances involved. There was no imagination, guided meditation, dreams, third eyesight, no veil sight, or sleeping involved. I specify this with no judgment intending, intended regarding anyone's experiences, but simply to clarify the nature of this particular event. I am not an example, because I am more righteous, perfect, or virtuous. I am not. I feel utterly unworthy to have any heavenly attention, and I'm certainly not looking for any earthly accolades. I only share my experience so others may know that no matter how low you are, Christ has been below all things, and he will save you if you let him. 
Be patient and teachable as a little child. Children do not have all the preconceptions and false traditions we do. Try to read the Book of Mormon without any preconceptions about what it means. I know that is very hard to do. I still have weaknesses. We all do. We are given weaknesses to humble us. Let yourself be humble. I have no stewardship to reveal anything to any member of the church. I am not a presiding authority, and therefore I expect that anything I share would not be of any palpable persuasion to anyone. Remember, the Holy Ghost is your teacher, not I. Example number three. The following is from my journal, my own personal sacred plates, written June 26th, while still immersed in the Spirit, immediately following an experience with my Savior. O loving God of all creation, I love thee, I praise thee, thy name forever, and I love thee with all my heart, might, mind, and strength. My heart is beating fast, and I am full of love and gratitude unto thee. I love thee dearly, O precious Father, I thank thee. I feel and firmly believe I received my second comforter experience. I have been in the presence of my Savior. I saw his hands, his wrist, and his side. I saw him, and I touched him. I beheld him with my own hands and with my spiritual eyes. I felt impressed to go into my closet. I quickly obeyed and then prayed fervently and called out as a child in mighty faith and humility. I pled to be forgiven of all my sins over and over, that I might be washed clean of my many sins and weaknesses. In my closet it felt holy, sacred, and pure. I was awake and aware the whole time, until I relaxed into my receptive state. I beheld my Savior, I saw his face, I felt his presence. I spent two hours with him, I visualized a high, tall tower, a portal, and a tall, narrow, pointed crystal mountain. I cast out darkness fervently and powerfully in his name. I commanded all darkness and evil spirits to depart. I cast them out and brought in increased light, love, and truth. I invited Heavenly Father, Mother, and Savior to come to me and help me. He is my Savior, my Redeemer, my all, and my salvation, and the salvation of my soul. He parted the veil and showed me the way. I have amazing belief, love, and gratitude that Jesus would come to me in comfort, peace, and safety. I didn't have to worry about anything. I knelt at my chair and asked that it would be a symbolic altar for me, and I offered myself at the altar of sacrifice. Jesus gave everything for me. He sacrificed and died for me. I was in the presence of my Lord, and I am a special witness of Christ. He stood by my side and as I worshipped him. He was wearing brown leather sandals with straps. I asked if I could remove his shoes. I was able to bow down and worship at his feet. He let me touch and worship him. This was the most sacred and powerful experience of my life. I cried and worshipped at his feet for probably an hour. I sobbed in deep love and gratitude to him. He is my Savior and Redeemer. I knew this was a very beautiful choice and sacred experience. I was transfigured so that I could be in his presence. I was hungry for more, and I desired to continue learning, growing, and obtaining more. As I desired to truly repent and come unto him. Jesus can come to us any time, anywhere, or any place. Alma 7, 11 through 12 states, And he shall go forth, suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, He will take upon him the pains and sicknesses of his people. And he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death, which bind his people. And he may take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. I love these verses. I testify he comes to us in our struggles, our trials, and in our afflictions. He is our God who delivers us as we enter into the new and everlasting covenant. We are commanded to repent and come unto him. Therefore, we need to go up into his presence. We need to ascend. Section Conclusion Jesus Christ is our loving Lord, Savior, and Redeemer. He has invited each of us to have a 
relationship with him. As our advocate with the Father, he is the gatekeeper and the one who has made it possible for us to one day return to our heavenly parents. He has invited us to seek to know him better and to seek his face while we are yet in the flesh. This is not a pipe dream or fantasy. This is not only for church leaders. He is the good shepherd who loves his sheep and has sacrificed all for them. The Savior of the world is calling to his sheep, Come unto me. In a very real way, our Savior is ready, waiting, and desiring for us to have the faith to approach him, to seek to spend time with him. He will spend time with us if we will only believe in his promises and exercise faith in him. He is there, now, waiting for us. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, No wonder desires also determine the gradations in outcomes, including why many are called but few are chosen. It is up to us. God will facilitate, but he will not force. That is from General Conference, 1996, October, According to the Desire of Our Hearts, by Elder Neil A. Maxwell. He quotes Matthew 22:14 and Doctrine and Covenants 95:5. You need to believe him, not just believe in him. There are a couple charts with references and stuff that I will put in the show notes. End of chapter.